Welcome to the Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast coming right out of a overtime loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. A heartbreak for Knicks fans, but a promising showing from the New York Knicks. I said you didn't want the Knicks to go out to Memphis and get blown out, but it was likely to be a loss. Turned out to be an overtime loss. You got to take something out of it. Listen, losing teams play close sometimes and they still have a disaster of a season. So you can't go through the season continuing to say promising loss. You know, they played hard. We were close. You can't do that all year. But opening night on the road for a championship contending team, one of the great players in the league in John Morant. You got to come away from that as a Nick fan saying to yourself, you know what? We saw some good signs. And one of those good signs you saw, Cam Reddish. Cam effing Reddish. Showed up. He likes the bright lights. He doesn't like preseason. And listen, for all the folks who either jumped off the Cam Reddish bandwagon or criticized them, including myself in the preseason, listen, you weren't wrong. He was terrible. He was bad. You don't get to rewrite history because he played well in, on opening night. He was bad. He looked terrible at basketball. But he came out and he showed you what the Knicks saw in him when they got got him for that first round draft pick. He showed you. And you got to be happy with it. 20 points last night. They're not in that game without him. And Julius, obviously. But let's start with Cam. 20 points in that game. I'm, I'm lying. 22 points. I'm stealing points from him. I'll apologize. I'll apologize. I I criticize him. I'll apologize to him. I'm not apologizing to nobody else. He was bad. He looked bad. And he deserved criticism. It's a what have you done for me lately league. And lately, he's been badass. So he better play next game. He better play next game. Healthy Grimes or not, he better play because you know who's not playing well. IQ and Obi. And Reddish is going to take somebody's minutes for the foreseeable future if he keeps playing like he played last night. 22 points, and it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. 22 points, five rebounds, three steals, a block, three threes, three to six from three, 28 minutes. Give that man credit. Give that man credit. If we're going to have that, first of all, he's done this before, so let's just let's just take a minute. Cam Reddish has had better games than that in this league. His problem is consistency. So be excited. Give him credit. He deserves another shot at it. But you also got to calm the F down. Okay, it's not a breakout game from Cam Reddish. It's a breakout game. As a Nick, but he's been here before in this league. He has to do this consistently. He has to, you're not always going to be on fire. You're not always going to make every good play. And he, he made some bonehead plays yesterday too. But you have to be in a place where teams can rely on certain aspects of your game every night if you're going to play. So Cam, make sure he gets those minutes next game. Let's keep this up. It's something that you haven't expected from him recently, especially coming out of the preseason. He's, if he's doing anything close to that, he's adding an element to this team that they didn't think they had. 
So great game from Cam Reddish. The big shot down the stretch to send the game into overtime. Uh, listen, exciting times for a Nick fan. You didn't think you were going to be in that game. You got down to the wire on it, went to overtime, and then it fell apart. Julius Randle. You got a little bit of, of uh, Julius from two years ago. 24 points, 6 assists, 11 rebounds, 4 or 5 from the free throw line. Only 33% from three, hit two, hit two threes. 34 minutes, fouled out of this game. He was a big difference in this game for the Knicks. Take it plus minus with a, gain of, uh, a grain of salt, but a uh, seven point plus minus from Randall, the highest on the team in a game that they lost. So you give him credit. He took a lot of criticism last year, preseason criticism from, from me. He's still not shooting well. But he made the right plays, took it to the basket, took advantage of mismatches, made great passes, the right passes last night. Some of that is schematic. A lot of times you would see the Knicks, especially when Julius got a double team, you would see the team run around like they've never seen a double team before. Stand around, stand, stand behind defenders, let defenders zone off and guard two people. Not anymore. You saw this a little bit in the preseason. You saw it last night. You saw the team move to open spots on the floor. You saw them cut to the free throw line. You heard Van Gundy talking about it, flooding the lane. I guess the double team had one person under the basket, had one person at the free throw line. That makes the team have to shift, come out of their little zone on the weak side. We find open shots. He made the right pass. He made a cross-court pass to the weak side one time on a double team. Dangerous pass, but it was on the money. So you saw good play all around from Julius last night. You can't say anything. You saw a little bit of the bad shots he likes to take, but you're going to get that from every player. So if he's going to limit that to to the bad shots that a lot of good players take, then you got to eat that. But I can do without the little baseline floater contested fadeaway for no effing reason. You don't need that. I promise you, you don't need it. But you can't say anything negative about Julius's game last night. He fouled out, but you know what? The Knicks didn't have the benefit of the whistle last night in general, in general. So you take that with a, a grain of salt, but a good show all around. Stephen A. Smith got his chance to rant and rave at halftime, but you didn't give it to him at the end of the game. ESPN game, opening night, he gave everybody a show. As a Knicks fan, you got to take that. It was a loss on the schedule. You knew that. It would have been a big surprise if they won it, so you take it. Now you look at the game now. I'm going to tell you who didn't show up. It's R.J. Barrett. And you saw R.J. Barrett be everything that every detractor of R.J. Barrett has said he was since, since day one. Always six from three. Three of 18 from the field. My goodness. And somehow, that's why you take plus minus with a grain of salt, but you... Sometimes you have to, you know, you have to take a look. It gives you, uh, put it in some perspective, but a zero plus minus from a guy who couldn't throw the ball into the ocean all night and could not keep John Morant out of the lane when he guarded him on that screen action. It wasn't just one-on-one. -on -one. But a zero plus minus somehow. And again... In a loss, you got to take and look for good signs. The fact that the Knicks were still in that game, in spite of the fact that R.J. Barrett was terrible on offense, 
good sign for the team as a whole. But you know you got 22 points from Cam Reddish. Right now, you can't feel confident that you're going to get that every night. So when you look at the guys like IQ, who did next to nothing last night, minus six on the game, his stat line, a bunch of zeros across the board until you get the three rebounds. And then there's a bunch of more zeros. It's like he didn't show up. It's like he was still on still the plane. Like he was still on the plane. And his energy seemed to be there. You saw a little bit on defense. He wasn't on the ball. That criticism does not apply to him. Last night, he wasn't on the ball dribbling around into, into uh, oblivion like we saw early in the preseason and last year. Can't blame him for that. He was off the ball. He got a couple good shots and knock him down. But he just wasn't enough of a factor on the floor. And he needs to be if the Knicks are going to be good. Obi Toppin, again, you saw him get injured in the game before. 13 minutes last night. Minus seven on the game. I don't want to create the habit of the plus minus, but I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting sometimes. He didn't do hardly anything last night. Made a couple nice plays. I don't think the ball finds Obi enough, personally. I just don't think it finds him enough. I think he, because the ball doesn't find him enough, he forces it when it does. I think he can make more plays when the ball finds him on the weak side. And a lot of times the ball doesn't ever get to the weak side. A lot of times just because it quickly, but uh, holding the ball too much. But that wasn't the case last night. You saw some nice plays from Derrick Rose in that second unit. But he didn't really. It was one of those things. Derrick Rose, let's look at his stat line. 12 minutes only, first of all. Minus four in the game. Four points. Four rebounds, two assists. Or three from three-point line. You need a little bit more than 12 minutes from Derrick Rose. So, Derrick Rose is not going to be able to do anything in 12 minutes. So, the bench, and we talked about this last episode, the bench needs to play better. They're not playing well. And I'm heavy on Rose having a bigger impact with that second unit. But even last night, he wasn't. I don't think he was bad. He missed a couple shots, but he didn't get a lot of minutes. He wasn't changing the game at all. And you saw Obi Toppin with 13 minutes, Rose with 12 minutes, and quickly with 16 minutes. You, Those guys are supposed to play a bigger role. But the star of that bench unit is Isaiah Hartenstein. Now, I said this over the summer. Hartenstein's floor game is going to make Nick fans want him on the floor all the time. And you saw that last night. Be fair, though. In the preseason, Mitchell Robinson was more impactful on the game than Hartenstein was. All right? You say, oh, it's preseason. It doesn't matter. No. The Knicks played their starters, and they played hard. And Mitchell Robinson was more impactful on the game than Hartenstein was. He needs to be on the floor. And what you saw last night is you saw a lot of foul trouble. And you know that's Mitchell's M.O., something that he was, he handled mostly last year. Wasn't as big of a factor last year as it was the year before, and or all the prior years. But last night, terrible foul trouble. And you saw when Mitchell Robinson's not in the game, you're not losing 
effectiveness on the court. They do different things, but you're not losing impact and effectiveness on the floor. And the different things that Hartenstein does, they contribute to victories. That doesn't mean that what Mitchell does doesn't contribute to victories. You just didn't see it last night. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. Mitchell Robinson is always going to struggle against big, strong centers. He cannot, he's not strong enough. And he came into the season last year bulking up for that very reason. And you saw the other side of it. He can't carry that weight like a lot of players. You heard Desmond Bain lost a lot of weight coming into the season. I think that's the trend. I think guys just want it. They want to get stronger, but they don't want to be heavier. And Mitchell cannot guard. He cannot sustain himself against bigger centers. And Steven Adams, one of the strongest centers in the league. Mitchell Robinson, second in the league last year in offensive rebounds. Steven Adams, number one. He can't, he can't handle it. It takes more effort for Mitchell to move Steven than it takes for Steven to move Mitchell. And that's, that's what looks like a foul. But that wasn't even the main reason. But Steven was an impactful player last night. Uh, but that wasn't the main reason he was in foul trouble. The main reason he was in foul trouble is because John Morant was constantly in the lane. And other players were constantly in the lane. Putting pressure on Mitchell Robinson. And he wasn't always getting the benefit of the call. And sometimes he did foul. Sometimes it's debatable. Whatever you want to call it. I saw a lot of contact at the rim from Hartenstein as well. And from the Grizzlies. So I'm not going to beat Mitchell up for some of those fouls. It's, you're at the rim and pressure's being put at the rim. It's going to be a lot of fouls called on you. And you saw Hartenstein get called for some ticky-tack fouls on Morant that were actually fouls. You're reaching in like a doofus. I'm not going to beat you up. You had a great game. But all that reaching in on, on Morant, these are things that Mitchell's better at. He's better at... Better at you know, Hartenstein's good at defending the rim, but his length... And athleticism is going to bother a lot more guys coming into the paint than Hartenstein's. And Hartenstein was dropping, dropping, dropping on Morant all the time. And Morant just put that floater over him. And it's going to be a little harder for that floater to get over Mitchell. Now, Morant's a great player. I might be splitting hairs there. But that's what you expect a little bit more from Mitchell Robinson. If you get better defensive efficiency at the rim from Hartenstein than you do Mitchell, then that's when you can start complaining about Mitchell's contract and Mitchell shouldn't be playing and blah, 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 blah. But I do think it's a little unfair to be throwing Mitchell Robinson under the bus game one for getting in foul trouble in a tough, uh, toughly whistled game for the Knicks. Hartenstein winning that game and he did everything the Knicks expected him to do when they signed him and anybody who saw him play last year knew he could do. Except for hit the three. Which he's going to have to start doing. If <laughs> He's going to have to start doing it. That's the value. That's one of the values he's supposed to bring to the court. Him not being able to stretch the floor by either not being out behind the three-point line and not making it when he is kind of hurts us a little bit on offense. That's a dimension that we kind of wanted to add uh, with him and haven't really seen it consistently enough in the preseason and in his first game. But the game he had was just off the charts in terms of intangibles and what he did hustle-wise. He knows the plays on offense. He knows the rotations. You saw so much out of him. You got to be happy to know that if Mitchell gets into foul trouble or he's just not playing well, that you can put him in a game and have an increase in value in certain areas of the floor and maybe not a drop-off, too much of a drop-off in the things that Mitchell's good at. His stat line, 40 minutes, first of all. 
Let's start with that. 40 minutes he played. He led the damn team in minutes. So when you look at his stats, keep in mind that that's 40 minutes of stats. 16 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Beautiful. Beautiful. You, you got to love it. One block. You got to love what he's doing out there. One block, but he was at the rim, rim a ton. But just to make the point, Mitchell had two blocks in 12 minutes. You know, so he was one block, but he was in defensive position a lot. That was a big block towards the end of the game, too. A block that could have been called a foul. I think it was called a foul on Mitchell. That little floater that he has in the middle of the lane. It's my favorite shot in basketball, I think, from a big man. It's my favorite shot. And and coincidentally, Clark, to me, was such a weapon with that shot in the playoffs last year. You didn't see it at all last night. But he was such a weapon in the playoffs last night when he would do screen and roll with Ja. And you can't always get to the front of the rim when you're the screener. And being able to stop in the middle of the paint and put that little floater up is money. You can't stop it. It's an easy shot. It's just a, it's more of a mental shot. That's a shot. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It's a shot you saw Mitchell say that he was working on in the offseason. He ain't a chance to see it yet. But Hartenstein making that shot so efficiently, that's just a shot. You can't scheme against it. You got to gotta be deep in your scouting report if you even try to contest it because of, of how it comes to be. If you're driving to the basket, especially off a screen, the center has to get to the front of the rim to stop penetration. He's not going to be able to go from the front of the rim to the middle of the lane to stop a little floater. So it's an excellent shot. It's a shot you want to see more of from Hardenstein, a shot you want to see even from Mitchell. You don't want him married to it because he's so effective at the front of the rim, but you want to see him have it at least in his arsenal. And that's something that Hardenstein can all can 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 be consistent at for the Knicks with that second unit. So you love seeing it, and I love that shot. As a team, you expected them to get run off the floor in the beginning of the game. It almost happened that way. Ja was hot, excellent player, just an amazing talent in the NBA. Very hard to scheme against, very hard to stop. But the fact that the Knicks, he started the game off hitting some threes. He was efficient. He was he was attacking. He was just very dynamic. You can't beat him up for not having answers for him at the beginning of the game. They were able to stay in the game in the beginning of the game. Something you had to be nervous about. My issue, Brunson got in early foul trouble against Jai. Listen, you can't beat him up. I'm going to say it again. But my issue with the Nixon drop coverage, which has been a very effective defense for the team against most of the league. Some of these teams, once they see the same thing over and over, some of these players, and they see the same thing over and over, it's not going to work. You got to mix it up. You just mix it up a little bit. You can cause a missed shot or a turnover. They didn't mix it up at all. And I think they start the game with with some very physical play from, from Brunson on, Rant, from, on Morant. He got into foul trouble. And then you saw other defenders like R.J. Barrett consistently going underneath the screen on John Morant. I'm not saying you go under all the time. Ja's an amazing player. But you have to mix it up. 
And you saw it down the stretch of the game. They were setting screens 25 feet from the basket, and you're trying to get over the screen on John Morant. Go under. Let him shoot a 25-footer. Can we have him shoot a 25-footer to win a game and instead of having some incredible acrobatic play at the rim? Why are you not going under the screen? Now, give Memphis credit. Their after-timeout plays were excellent. They clearly knew how they wanted to scheme against the Knicks' rotations and their switches and their coverages in general, not just to drop coverage, but in general. All the -the off-the-ball actions, setting the Knicks up, having them switch at the top of the key, knowing that they were going to have to desperately try to cut off penetration from the strong side corner, which is a mistake. That's a hedge and recover at best. The Knicks were getting caught on that a zillion times. And they shot confidently knowing that they were going to have enough room to get their shots off. So they didn't even think twice about it. And you saw some excellent shoot, excellent shooting from Memphis. And you saw Tyus Jones, who I'm pretty sure is one of the six dozen players in the NBA who has a bone to pick with the Knicks. So Tyus Jones just be a dagger all night. He was a dagger personified. Hitting shots you didn't expect him to take. Or make had the big shot in overtime with the Knicks with the game tied under a minute to go. By the way, there weren't that many points scored in overtime. So that little foul and goaltend on John Moran on, on Jalen Brunson. Listen, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. You can't have two Knicks foul out because every time Somebody's t- how many how many Randall had two loose ball fouls down the stretch of the game in overtime. I think it was I think it was two at the end of regulation and then one in overtime. I could be wrong. One of those they were both flops. Both of them. I'm not saying they weren't fouls, but they were both flops because Stephen Adams was a monster pushing and shoving people around. No calls. No calls. I saw Cam get pushed into the basket against Xavier from Xavier. No calls. But on a, a, a wild shot at the end of a shot clock, Julius Randle does the same action. And I think it was, I'm not sure, Santi, who went flying out of bounds. Conchar, one of them. Flying out of bounds, whistle. John Morant, same thing. Barely touched. Adams is, is dragging multiple nicks down, <laughs> down under the basket. Whistle, whistle. So in, in that game, in that kind of game, to have Morant run into the back of Brunson and goaltend the shot, and neither one of them are called. In a tight, a tightly contested overtime match. And then that led to transition. A, bu- a bucket. You don't want to spend too much time on the referees, but that's bad. That's terrible. And that's why if you're, if you're analyzing a game, you can't just get hung up all the time. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It matters. But you can't get hung up all the time on the outcome. Because the outcome could have changed with the whistle in that game. With all of the bad the Knicks brought to the table. It could have changed with a whistle or two. Now, you can't do that all year. I said it earlier. You can't do it all year. 
because it adds up because it evens out all year. You're going to get the whistle against other opponents in another game. So it will even out if you're a Knicks fan, but you can't get hung up on the wins and losses all the time when you're analyzing it. But that was a terrible missed call. And what you saw from Memphis was impressive is you saw their offense and their sets tailor-made for the Knicks in the way they rotate on defense. And they they moved with a crispness on offense that you saw a little bit of from the Knicks in the preseason and you didn't see much of it last night. And you could say the Grizzlies' defense took the Knicks out of that but you didn't see the same. You didn't see the same cuts. You didn't see the moving off the ball with intention that you saw in the preseason. You did not see the crispness at all from the Knicks, even though they were able to stay in this game, even though they had to deal with R.J. Barrett being terrible and not getting much from the bench outside of Hardenstein. But you saw it from the Grizzlies. And on the flip side, you got got to give the Knicks a little bit of credit because of all of those defensive mistakes. With all of those defensive mistakes, they were still in this game. They were still in this game. Shooting terribly, having guys not playing well. They were still in the mix. They still made the game difficult for the Grizzlies. Uh, I mentioned it. Those after timeout plays were just so money. And you want to see that if you're a Knicks fan from your team. They were just money. If you watched it, you really felt like there wasn't much the Knicks could have done defensively on that play. It was just perfect for the way that the, uh, the Knicks were playing defense. And you saw you saw Jeff Van Gundy bring up this was the same play at the end of regulation the Grizzlies uh, ran in the playoffs. I'm watching the play, and, and the first thing I'm seeing is you see Julius Randle guarding Brandon Clark at the three-point line like he's Kevin Durant. Trying to deny the pass. You're going to get called for a foul. <laughs> Maybe. It's an end of regulation. But you're more likely to get called for a foul there, Julius Randle, than you are to steal that pass. Okay? Just, I'm not saying don't contest it. I'm saying just know that Brandon Clark is just there to catch the ball. And it's the next play that you need to be aware of. And he wasn't. Brandon Clark catches that ball, and you have John Morant running full speed with a wide-open lane because Mitchell Robinson is guarding the inbounder. Insanity. Great play, but you need some awareness there if you're the Knicks. There's nobody else to help unless you're giving up a three-point shot. Julius Randle had to be aware enough to know that when Brandon Clark catches that ball, that ball is going somewhere else. And I'm not sure he could have done anything about it, but I damn sure would have liked to have seen him be close to doing something about it. That led to just an amazing play, defensive play from Jalen Brunson. The only person that could have done anything about it to save that game steps in and takes a charge on John Moran. Just a ballsy play, a winning type play. You've seen John Moran posterize people trying to do that. Gets the charge call, and to John Morant's credit, he made the shot. Just a bonkers shot, falling down, wasn't even looking at the rim. Just He's just an amazing player. You haven't really seen an acrobat like that in the air 
since MJ. You've seen a lot of guys fly around doing fancy, fancy dunks, but you don't see guys making the decisions in the air that you see John Morant making and finishing at the same time. Just a great play by both guys. Jalen gets the call. But like I said, that was a play that you would have wanted Randall to, to shift over just to slow John Morant down just a little bit, recognizing that Clark wasn't a threat at the three-point line once he catches the ball. But it was a good play, quick play. You got to make quick decisions. But you, you kind of have to have some awareness there. Even, like I said, the play was run before. You can say it's been scouted. You should have known, blah, blah, blah. But taking that aside, it was executed very well. You wanted to have a little awareness there. And then you saw another play where I think they caught the Knicks off guard because they expected the Knicks or the Knicks expected the Grizzlies to run screen action with Adams, but instead they ran it with Randall's man and Randall was not prepared. You saw him drop back the way Hartenstein had been dropping back on Morant and Morant was able to get a step of running start on him and cross him over and take him to the basket and make it just a great shot. A shot you've seen Morant do a thousand times if you watch him. He had Randall confused. Randall didn't even know where the ball was. You can see Randall's eyes weren't even on the ball. He did not expect that take from Morant at all. And there wasn't much Hartenstein can do because Adams had been on the ball. He had to expect Randall to give a better contest on it. And he just had to focus on boxing Adams out who Adams Adams was just a menace on the offensive boards he had to account for him getting on the glass and hope Randall could contest better than he did it's a tough guard from Randall it was a great play which is why I brought it up they weren't ready earlier in the game Randall had blitzed John Morant to a degree when his man screened and was able to get a strip RJ was able to get the strip because of it that wasn't the way the Knicks were playing it playing it so Morant wasn't ready and that's kind of my point on the Nixon drop coverage earlier you have to switch it up you can't give great players the same look this is why Trey Young makes plays down the stretch against the Knicks that play works some that coverage works sometimes against good players it doesn't work all the time you got to switch it up you can't just have the same coverage every single time and expect these guys are not going to figure it out there were some times when the Knicks double-teamed Ja when Ja was 30 feet from the basket. The Grizzlies handled it well, but they didn't double-team him on that screen nearly as much as they should have. And like I said, them going over the screen on John Morant all the time and never going under for three quarters in overtime in that game, it cost them down the stretch. If you're going to play a close game, then you have to be you have to be a little bit more imaginative in the last possessions. You can't give them the same look. They're going into the timeout and they're preparing for that look. And then they're coming out. You got a great coach with the Grizzlies. They coming out and they're going to have an answer for it. I'm sorry. I just like coaches like Taylor Jenkins. Guys who, and Belichick, I put them in the same category. I'm not saying, I shouldn't make that comparison, but they do the same thing in, in, in that they have, an idea they have a strategy they have something that they want to do but they will adjust depending on what you're doing they're not just going to be stubborn about it that stubbornness drives me crazy you see it with Tibbs it drives me crazy you're telling me you've gone through four quarters in overtime and you want to play the same daggone defense 
against John Moran that you've had that you have the whole entire game. You don't want to switch nothing up. Nothing. Double team him. Blitz him. Blitz him. Give him something different. You're giving him the same rotations. And Taylor Jenkins was all over it. But let's wrap this up. The hero of the night, Randall. Listen, give Randall his credit. He did what he's supposed to do. But the story, let's not bury the lead. Is Cam Reddish. Get that man a new compression tee. He, he's earned it. What is with that t-shirt? He's definitely got that from the dollar store. That t-shirt, it doesn't fit. Look like it got holes in it. Come on, Cam. That was a ballsy shot from a guy with a ratty t-shirt on. Ended that in the regulation. Give him credit. And I'm going to tell you something. He's going to play this next game. And IQ better step it up and Obi better te- step it up. For all the reasons I discussed in the last game. But people worried about uh, Fournier. If IQ does not play better and Obi does not play better, Reddish is taking their minutes before he takes Fournier's minutes. I promise you. Because what Fournier does, the other players don't do. Versatile shooter, and he creates plays much easier without a strain on the offense the way IQ does. And Obi is just being too inconsistent. I think he's still battling whatever injury he had last game, but I don't care. You got to play better. Well, let's wrap this up. All in all, a good showing. We predicted this to happen. A loss, easy prediction. Chalk. But they played well. That's what you wanted to see from this team. Up next, the Pistons. A home opener. I told you what had to happen here. They got to win handily. They have to take the good things that came out of this Memphis game, and they have to take it to the Pistons, who played well in their opening night game. Got to take it to them. Got to take it to them. Cannot have this game be close down the stretch. I don't care how good you think the Pistons are. It has to be a solid victory from them at home. But we'll be here. We'll be back at it. We won't do it every game, but we'll we'll be here a few times a week talking Knicks basketball. SportsEthos.com at EthosNix at SportsEthos on Twitter. Looking forward to it. Until next time. <laughs>